Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Good morning, Southeastern family. Great to see you. Uh, Psalm 87 in your Bible. Let me ask you to open it to that place. You have a hard copy. Uh, turn to it, electronic copy. Scroll up, find Psalm 87. Uh, if uh, you happen to wander in here without a copy of God's Word this morning, uh, just uh, look real lonely to your right or left. I'm confident there's somebody that will let you uh, look on with them. While you're finding that place, I also just will tell you, in addition to having my wife, I'm glad to, to have my mother-in-law, Miss Lillian Joyner, with us today. Uh, she's back in this chapel. Her husband, who's now gone on to be with the Lord, is a pastor for over 40 years, was a student here in 1956 and 1957. And so we're grateful. Uh, our family is grateful for the investment that this institution has made uh, in the ministry that we're able to have. Psalm 87, uh, this is the word of the Lord under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The psalmist writes, on the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, God is speaking now. Among those who know me, I, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her, for the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the people, This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. How many of you have ever uh, gotten a song stuck in your head that you couldn't get out? Let me just see, see your hands. I, that's probably most of us. It's just part of human nature that happens to us from time to time. Uh, becoming a grandparent has reminded me that the context it happens most in is uh, when we've got little kids around uh, because they sing songs and they watch them on, on YouTube and videos and, you know, on, on stations on the television and, and and many times there, you know, there's those songs that just don't go away. I mean, if I, if I have to hear, uh, you know, Baby Shark, do 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 uh, one more time. If I have to hear Let It Go. Uh, if I have to hear On Dora the Explorer, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map. I, I'm, I'm going to die. I mean, if I just got to hear this. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's crazy. You know, and you have all of these little, these little songs and stuff. It happens with hymns. It happens with contemporary choruses. It happens with your favorite musicians. You get something in your head, and it, it just won't go away. Well, I hate to do this to you, but I, I, I would be willing to bet, if I were a betting man, that if that's ever happened to you, at least one of those times, it's been with the Disney hit, It's a Small World. How many of you know that one, huh? I say, I'm sorry to do that to you. It's not going away all day long. You're going to be, you know, and, and you know what makes it worse? If you can't carry a tune like me, it's just like you're chopping this up, you know, and it's just bad going, but, but you, know, you know the song. 
You know the Disney hit that is the theme of that dark water ride in uh, Fantasyland of all the Disney parks. I remember going through it as a child. I remember taking my kids through it as a, as a parent. And, you know, you get on those boats and you go through there and you're encountered by, by over 300 audio animatronic children that are decked out in all of the attire representing all the nations of the world and they are singing that song over and over and over again and by the time you get to the end it is seared indelibly in your mind never goes away and you carry it with you even to seminary you've got it there have been millions of people that have sung that song time.com says it's the most performed song in all of history and one of the reasons is because it's so catchy and it goes over and over and over in our minds. But though millions of people know that song and millions of people have gone on that ride in a Disney park, many don't know that the, 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 the originators of that dark water ride and the, the authors of that song had an agenda. You know what that agenda was? World peace. And consequently, you, you know, you, you're going through there floating on those boats, seeing all of those robotic children in the garb of every tribe, nation, and tongue repre representing all of the peoples of the world. And their desire was to do exactly what, what happens. Their desire was that you would get that song stuck in your mind, that you would have that picture in your mind, you would see all of the representation of the people, and consequently, you would be thinking about the hope of world peace, the unification of all of these children on that ride coming together representing all of the tribes. There was an agenda and that was to create a microcosm, a miniature model of something that was a desire. And that, that desire was world peace. Did you know, did you know that God has created a microcosm with an agenda? He's created a microcosm, a miniature model that he wants to get seared in our minds so that we would never, ever forget about what it represents. Now, like, like the, 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 the ride at Disneyland, God's microcosm is, is an imperfect model in its form in this world. But unlike the Disneyland Ride God's microcosm speaks of a not just a very real hope, but a very certain hope. It's going to happen. We'll probably never see world peace you know, while we're on this world, uh, on this planet. But God assures us that the microcosm He has created represents something that is sure to happen. God's microcosm is this city that is spoken about in Psalm 87. It's variously referred to in the Bible as Salem, Mount Moriah, the city of David, the city of God, the city of the great king. Its most familiar term and the term by which we know it even in contemporary culture is Jerusalem. In this psalm it is called Zion, the city of God. And it's in this city, listen to me, it's in this city that God has established a place for, watch this now, the eternal hub of his worship and the eternal habitation of his people. That's what he desires to do. 
That's what he desired to do in the establishment of Jerusalem. It is that that he desires to sear into our minds every time we see it, every time we think about it, every time we read. God had an agenda. He has an agenda in this city, and that is to represent the eternal hub of his worship and the eternal habitation of his people. And I want to show this to you in the psalm. And I want, to, I want to take three slices here. I want to look at it from three different standpoints. First of all, I want to give you a historical explanation very quickly going through this text. And then I want us to come back and I want to think about some theological implications of what we find here. And then we'll end with some practical applications. So let's start with a historical explanation of what's going on. We don't know for sure the exact setting that inspired the writing of this psalm or when it when when it was written but but evidently it involved uh, some festival occasion in which the 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 Jewish people were celebrating this great city and so you've got a worship leader that is 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 leading the throngs of people to sing this song and to think about to think about what it represents so so look at the historical explanation of this the psalm falls neatly into three categories, I think. One, the consecration of God's city, the citizens of God's city, and the celebration of God's city. You see the consecration of God's city in verses 1 through 3. The worship leader sings, leads the throng, announcing on the holy mount stands the city of God. He speaks of a place that God has set aside for a particular purpose. And in these first three verses, he, he unpacks for us what that looks like. He tells us God established the city. In, in the language of the Old Testament, the word translated founded in my English text is up at the front of the sentence. He comes right out of the gate to make sure that we know what God did. He put this together. He founded this. On the holy mount stands this city. This is something God did. He put this together. And he put it together for a particular purpose. He established the city. Not only did he establish it, he esteems it. Look at verse 2. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. It doesn't mean he didn't love the other cities of Jacob. Uh, it doesn't mean he didn't, doesn't love all of the cities of, 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 of Israel, but the, the Word of God says that when he founded this, he esteemed it in a particular way. He established the city. He esteemed it. If this morning, we could go back to Second Chronicles chapter 6. You can chase it down sometime. You see in the, the dedication of the temple, Solomon referred back to how God said, you know, when he, when he brought the children of Israel into the promised land, he set apart, he set set apart that city and he set apart David as his king. God esteems this. There's something special about it. There's something unique about it. Language of the Old Testament, the word loves is an active participle. The implication here is, listen, this hasn't gone away. This hasn't changed. God established this city. There is an implication of permanence. He esteems this city by setting his elective love on this city for a particular agenda, a particular end. He established it, he esteems it, and then finally he exalts it. Look at verse 3. John Newton wrote a hymn based upon this verse right here. The psalmist says, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. 
Now, what I'm about to show you is God begins to talk in the next verses. He, he, he seems to be referring, though there are many people that say glorious things about it, this psalm is really about what God says about it. And here he just summarizes that in verse 3 and says, God talks this city up. He talks well of this city. And he exalts it above all cities and he esteems it beyond all of the cities of Israel. This is something God did. He consecrated this city. Well, now, now the psalmist tells us in verses 4 through 6 what God says about it. And this is where we see the citizens of this city. Certainly, if we looked at all of the Psalms and all the Word of God, we would see a lot of commentary by God on what he thinks of the city of Zion, of the city of Jerusalem. But here, interestingly, in this celebration of the city, the glorious things that God says about the city have to do, watch this now, have to do with the citizens that are in this city. So we see the consecration. Look at the citizens of the city. Our attention is called to a repetitive phrase in here that points us to what God is speaking, what glorious things he's saying. We know it's him in verse 4. He says, and those who know me, I mention these. God is speaking and he, he, he comments in verse 4, this one was born there, they say. So the people are saying this. God's reporting on that. Says it again in verse 5, and of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born there. And then in verse 6, God talks straight up. The Lord, the Lord records as he registers the people, this one was born there. So look at the repetitive phrase that runs through these verses. This one was born there. That one was born there. This one was born there. Here are the glorious things God's saying about this city. He's, he's, he's talking about what makes up the citizenship of the city of Jerusalem. This is his intention. This is his desire. And the list, watch this now, is an unlikely list. Notice, among those who mention, I mentioned Rahab and Babylon and Philistia and Tyre and Cush. Do you see something there that seems strange? I mean, if we were to put all of these in one category, we would have to put them in the category of the opposers of Israel. Rahab is another name for Egypt. Babylon is mentioned. These two nations enslaved Israel. Philistia and Tyre were always nipping at their heels and Cush, probably the people of the upper Nile that were always enticing Israel to, you know, to the things of the world. That these, these, are not, these are not fellow citizens that the Jews would be used to. But notice something. God says among those who know me. That word know is a word the prophets used to describe the special relationship that God had with his people Israel. This is no casual, casual relationship that he's speaking of it is he's speaking of an of an intimacy of those who he has brought in to this city and notice what he's saying he's saying this one from Egypt that one from Babylon was born here now now, now what we're looking at here would be very similar to what we know of as naturalized citizenship 
Some of you know what that means. There are those in this room today that have become naturalized citizens. You were born as a citizen of another country, but you went through the process, met certain requirements, and you became a citizen of the United States, and that means it's as if you were born here. And this is what God is doing with all of these enemy nations. He's saying there's a person in Babylon. There's a person in Egypt. There is a person in Cush and Tyre and Philistia. And it's as if they were born here. God is designating them in verse 6. The Lord records as he registers the people. God is designating them as citizens of his city. And it's as if they were born here. What an incredible incredible testimony of the desire of God for his people I don't know how many of them were see it we don't know the exact setting some have said he's referring to the diaspora Israelites that had gone and they had been born in in, in the dispersion as, and in other cities but he's saying they still have citizenship Others would say this was a celebration of a festival in which Jews and proselytes, those who had now had adopted and been adopted in the Jewish religion, we, we don't know. But what we know is he's talking about a dual citizenship, a place of physical birth and a place of now designated birth. It's as if God's taking his children back to Genesis 12 you through you i'm going to bless everybody taking them back to exodus you know exodus chapter 19 where he says i'm raising you up as a kingdom of priests so that you would you would lead the worship of god and all nations would get in on it it's as if he was taking them back to isaiah 2 where, where Isaiah the prophet says the day is going to come where all the nations flow into Jerusalem. We don't know exactly what was going through their mind, but listen to me, beloved. What we do know is that the commentary on the citizenship of this city is a dual citizenship, a place of physical birth, but now a place of designated birth by God himself. So we see the consecration of the city, the citizens of the city, and that leads to the celebration in verse 7. I mean, I mean this, this kind of activity, this kind of worship, this kind of adoption, this kind of designation merits a party. And so you look at verse 7 and the psalmist says singers and dancers alike are going. And he, and he picks out two of, of Israel's most cheerful, their mo most cheerful uh, expressions of, of, of joy. And we Baptists are pretty good with the singer's thing, not so much with the dancer's thing. But all of this and more was prompted by what's going on in verses 1 through 6. But notice, notice what they say. Look at verse 7. All my springs are in you. I want you to notice what these singers and dancers are celebrating. They're not, they're not first celebrating the, 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 the diversity of the citizenship, though that's obviously a big part of it. They, they, are, they, are, they are celebrating what brought about the diversity. And that is the springs that the prophets would have identified and other psalmists would have identified as representing eternal life, the true life of God, what it means really to be alive. And that's what they are celebrating. They are celebrating the fact that God has given new life now. 
He has given new life to this person in Babylon and that one in Philistia and he's brought them into his city. This is what was going on in the biblical author's mind. But what would, what would the divine author have us see in this passage of Scripture? We zoom out a little bit and we ask the question, what? So what are the theological implications here? What do we know of Scripture that informs this passage? What of Scripture is informed by this passage? And there are certainly many things we could identify. I just want to give you three. One is the new birth. Another one is the triune God. And the third one is our eternal home. You, you, can't, you can't read, especially verses 4 through 7 in Psalm 87, and not think about Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. You remember that Pharisee, that seminary professor, if you will, who, who came to Jesus? Obviously, he was, he was thinking more and processing more than maybe a lot of the other Jewish people he really wanted to know. Uh, we don't know exactly what he said up front, but we know Jesus knew what he wanted to know. And that is, he wanted to know, how do you get into the kingdom, right? How do you, how do you become a citizen of the kingdom? And so Jesus, Jesus speaks, and he says, unless you are what? born again, right? You won't enter the kingdom of God. And I threw Nicodemus off a little bit. He's trying to process this from an earthly standpoint. How can that happen? Can a man go back into his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus says, no, that's not what it's about. And he said, unless you're born of water and spirit, unless you're born of physical birth, ladies that have given birth, you know this, what happens when you're about to give birth? Your water breaks because that, that child is encased in a sack of water. And so he's, Jesus said, unless you're born of water, you have a physical birth, and you're born of the spirit, you can't get into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is still processing this. Jesus said, listen, you, you don't need to fi figure out how to cross all the T's and dots all the eyes yeah there are things in the universe like the wind you you feel it you know its effects but you don't know where it comes from it you don't sit around trying to figure that out it's just a reality he says this is the way the new birth is this is something the spirit does when we look at Psalm 87 we can't help but see the representation listen a microcosm if you will something that is a precursor to it is foreshadowing the reality of the new birth that God gives and even this life in verse 7 in Psalm 87 representing that life of God that is a is an act of the spirit in our lives we are born again by the work of the spirit of God the new birth but also the triune God I, you know I, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here but I think it's just really cool in Psalm 87 to see in light of this new birth the representation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verses 1 through 3 speak of the city of God. He established it. This is his dwelling place. Verses 4 through 6 speak of the mediation of a new birth that only Jesus Christ can give. Verse 7 speaks of the new life that Jesus himself would identify as the work of the Spirit. You remember his conversation with the woman at the well and Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 and, and, and she, she wanted to know how she could not have to come out here anymore. Jesus said if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked him and he would have given you, he would have given you real water, real life and he would go on to say whoever drinks from me will never thirst again. 
John chapter 7, he shows up on that great day of the feast and he just announces that invitation. Whoever's thirsty, let him come to me and drink the water and I'll put inside of him a fountain that will never go away. And we see God the Father who's established this city. We see God the Son who is the mediator of the new birth. And we see God the Spirit who is the enactor of that and makes it happen. So the new birth, the triune God, but maybe most vividly is this idea of our eternal home. You see, I think this is really what is at the heart of this microcosm that God created in establishing the city of Jerusalem. And I know you know this. He wants this song to be played over and over and over in our minds. It's interesting, in another psalm and also in the book of Revelation, there is reference to a new song that is sung that involves all people from every place on the planet. Let me show this to you in Hebrews chapter 12. Hold your place here in Psalm 87. We'll come back to it, but I want you to look at Hebrews 12 for a second. Author of Hebrews obviously making a lot of contrast and comparison through this letter, this sermon possibly. And one of those is he's showing how the things of God that God did in Jesus Christ are better than so many things, all of the things that were the precursors in Judaism. But just look at this one here in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to, look at it now, Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering. So you've got this city that God established, and you, you've got an element here of that celebration that is going on with the, the angels. Look at verse 23. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Interesting, the image there of being enrolled in something. Here, what we're enrolled in is heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. The Word of God defines the agenda of this microcosm. What God desires for us to think about every time we read it on the pages of Scripture, every time we, we see the city of Jerusalem on the front page of the news, every time we hear about even the conflict that is going on there, this is what it's pointing toward. In its imperfect state, in, in all of the problems in there, God established a city and He defined it by the citizenship of a new birth as a work of the Spirit and He did it to point us to our eternal home. John got a picture of this, didn't he, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Look at, look at John's glimpse of what we refer to as heaven. Notice how he describes it. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. We, we come full circle from the beginning of the Bible now to the end of the Bible and we discover that the Bible ends at the same place it began. God created something 
it was affected by sin and messed up in Genesis chapter 3 and everything from that point on is the story of God putting it back together and now we see the fleshing of, out of that in John's vision a new heaven and a new earth look at verse 2 and I saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband the microcosm beloved is imperfect but God is preparing the real deal he's preparing the real thing we may never experience world peace while we're on this planet, but this is going to happen because God is establishing it and He's preparing it for you. He's preparing it for me, this new Jerusalem. And He's going to introduce this bride to her husband in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Think about Psalm 87. The ones that know me are in intimate relationship with me. One from this place was born here. One from that place was born here. One from this place was born here. And God now comes in what this microcosm represents and said, This is the place. This is the time. I'm going to dwell with my citizens my people for all of eternity and then look look, look, look at, at verse 4 he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away you just read the Bible sometimes you ever run across verses you just have to stop and say man I'm really glad that's in there it's one of those verses for me I'm really glad that's in there. Some of you came in here today having wiped away tears. You will go back and shed more tears. That same thing is happening in the real physical city of Jerusalem right now. We came in here, some of us, with having just buried loved ones, grandparents, moms, dads, children, and there will be more funerals that will attend. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. There's no way to recount all the representations of that in this room today the things that are breaking your heart the things that are sitting heavy on your mind as you're trying to navigate seminary navigate your work and your ministry and your family beloved listen God's created a microcosm that he wants to remind us every time we see it every time we think about it that the day is coming when all of that will be wiped away there won't be any more you see the celebration in verse 5. He was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, isn't that interesting? To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. I'm glad that's in the Bible, aren't you? You don't earn it. You can't. You can't score enough points you don't deserve it but this water of life has been given without payment the Bible says the one who conquers will have the heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son you see these citizens in verse 22 I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb and the city has no need of Sun or moon or to shine on it that's not true of the earthly city, the microcosm today. They need light. They're wanting a temple to be rebuilt. But what God desires us to think about and anticipate and long for when we see the city of Jerusalem and we think about the city of Jerusalem as a place where there's no need for a temple 
because God and Jesus are its temple and we're going to dwell with them in all of eternity. There won't be any need for a sun and the moon because Jesus will be bright enough, the Bible says. And look at verse 24. By its light will the nations walk. Look at that. The nations And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. This one was born there, and that one was born there, and this one was born there. From Babylon and Cush and Tyre and from Egypt and from Iraq and Iran and from China and from the United States and from Canada and from from Scotland and, and, and from Hong Kong and every place on the planet, this one was born there. God says they're a citizen of this place. The nations notice will come and they will bring these kings into the the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are look at this written in the Lamb's book of life God has a book you know Psalm 87, the cosmic clerk of the universe is writing the names of those from different nations and saying it's as if they were born here. Their name is written in the book and in the book of Revelation, in the picture of this new Jerusalem, we find the reference to the Lamb's book of life that's implied in Luke 10 and Paul talks about in Philippians 4 and has been talked about at least four times in the book of Revelation up to this. God has a book and in that book are written the names of those who not only have a physical birth location somewhere, but they have been birthed spiritually and made citizens of the kingdom. Chapter 22 in Revelation speaks more of this celebration. The angel showed me the river, the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the what? Of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. And so we see what this microcosm is intended to represent. It's intended to represent our eternal home. John ends his vision in Revelation chapter 22 with this invitation. Look in verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, let the one who hears come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That invitation is on the table. I think it leads us to at least three applications of Psalm 87. One of them is gospel, one of them is gratitude, and one of them is go. We have to see the gospel in this text, don't we? It's obvious. It's obvious when we think through a theological lens and see what the divine author has been doing. This is the gospel, beloved. Jesus died, came and did what we couldn't do, lived a perfect life. He took our sin, went to the cross, and there, he, he died there in our stead. He incurred the wrath of God on your behalf and my behalf. And he rose from the dead in order by his spirit, listen to me, by his spirit to put the life of God back inside of you. Now, I know most of you in a room like this know that, you've embraced that, but I would be remiss if I didn't say to someone here, either present in this room or watching by live stream or looking at this video later, if you've never, if you've never seen this gospel and heard this gospel, know that he did this for you. And our prayer is that you would repent of your sins and you would trust in this Jesus who gives new birth by the power of his spirit to make you a citizen of the kingdom of God. 
I invite you to do that. We have to get the gospel. Not only that, believers, listen to me. Come in here real close. We, have, we need to be grateful. You, you see, one of the problems in me coming to Psalm 87 as a Western Christian is I have a tendency to look at myself on the inside looking out. Oh, you know, I'm a citizen of the kingdom, and this is about missions. This is about, you know, people that need to be adopted into the family and get that dual citizenship. No, friend. This is me and you. We're the Babylonians. We, we are, are the Philistians. We are those of Rahab. We are those of Cush. We are the people that were on the outside. And God said to us, this one was born here and that one was born here. We come to Psalm 87. We need to come with a volcano erupting in us of gratitude to God to say thank you, thank you, thank you for saving us. Thank you for making us citizens of the kingdom. And then the third application is go. We get the gospel. We have gratitude for what the gospel's done in our life. But then we go with it. If this is true, and we look at it through the lens of all of Scripture, we have to look at it from the standpoint that God has chosen His children to be the instruments by which others hear the gospel. Those in Babylon, those in Philistia, those in Cush, those in Iraq, and those in Iran, and China, and Africa, and every place on the planet. This, beloved, compels us. It compels us to do what we know we're here to train to do, and that is to go with this gospel and be instruments in the hand of God, of Him adopting people in this passage is about the elective purposes of God you can't read it without seeing God as the cosmic clerk but we know that God has ordained and chosen us to be the mouthpieces through which he pronounces people this one is born there I did my dissertation on a man named Richard Jackson he was in a great evangelistic pastor he was asked one time well do you think God elects people he said yeah I think God elects people but I also believe he's put me on the nominating committee and I'm gonna nominate everybody I can <laughs> it's a pretty good picture isn't it God has told us to go and we go to the nations I read an interesting thing about that it's a small world exhibit there have been people that have snuck the ashes of loved ones in there on the ride and scattered them among all of those animatronic children that's illegal you know just so you'll uh, not get an idea but I, but when I thought about that I thought about what a cool picture that we we would spend our lives we would sacrifice our lives for the realization of this microcosm of God's city. Let's pray together. God, help us do this. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your love. We thank you for adopting us into your family. We thank you for chasing us down when we weren't looking for you. And thank you for giving us a hope, not a pipe dream, not something that that likely won't happen, but something that is real. Thank you for stirring our hearts with a picture of your city. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. 
You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.